everybody. Welcome to the Nitty Gritty. We just had a fantastic episode. The episode that we've been I've been talking about for three weeks awkwardly. <laughs> so we had Kristen Hodson come, the sex therapist. Uh, sex guru. Sex guru. That's what I'm calling her from here on out. And it was awesome. Such an interesting conversation. It was actually different than I was expecting. In what way? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I really had expectations on what it was. So we give a little summary of, I, I was surprised how much we talked about kids. Yeah. I'd say the first half of the episode is communication, how to communicate with your kids, being comfortable talking about sex. She made us do an exercise on air. The grocery list. <laughs> That's all we'll say. The grocery list. That all of you should try. You are going to, you're going to laugh your butts off when you hear this one. <laughs> Like you got to hear it. I learned a ton, actually. A ton. Like a, ton. a lot. And I loved her style and how she explained things, she has how she gift. talked about it. Like For sure. Like just some of the examples that she used, it was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. Right. Well, and I, I would think somebody in her profession, she was obviously like put here to do that. Yes. Like she, her, her story of how she got into social work is really, I mean, it's kind of like, I remember the first time I dribbled a basketball when I was seven years old, I knew I was going to be in the NBA. Like that's kind of her story. Like she was adopting out cabbage patch dolls yeah. as an eight, like a eight seven year old, old kid, eight year old kid. Like yeah. she was trying to find the kids homes and <laughs> holy crap. How awesome is that? And I mean, you hit on the head, like you listen to her talk and I hope we always talk about this. I hope you can feel like how much she loved it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like she absolutely loves and she knows the impact that she's having on people. Right. And she loves it. And how badly we all need it. Yeah. Then we moved on to adults and marriages and all you people listening. That's like my husband, all he wants to do is do this. And, and then every husband's like, can we do more than once a month? <laughs> like we talked, what was the disparity? What did she call that? Do you guys remember? The, the desire and desire disparity, something or other. And it's a fat, it was fascinating to talk about. And you know, a lot of it kind of boiled down to how can we teach our kids this stuff if we're not even in a healthy place well, and not educated ourselves. Yeah. And so I think that what a great motivation, right? Like I need to teach my kids. They're getting older. There's all this scary stuff in the world, but I've got to, I've got to approach this and, well, and I and asked, educate like, myself. Well, asked when should you start? And she's like, you should start before they're even born. Oh, that's the other thing she says. Like, how much time do you spend on math homework? Yeah, that's about how much time you should spend on. But like educating the, the kids other with thing this stuff. was is like sex education goes way beyond what I think the definition is right. Right, and we talked a lot about that. And what's cool is she gave so many good resources, books, analogies, tools. I mean so much good stuff she sandwich, shared like what do you like on your sandwich yeah you'll, you'll hear that part too her instagram's amazing yes it's Kristen b hodson which it's s-o-n right yeah h-o-d-s-o-n she talked about the legislative stuff that they're battling in yep. utah which was really interesting yep she like uh, she hits everything porn addiction sex addiction and how those are overused and anyway uh, so much fascinating stuff uh, but it's just another awesome example of starting a conversation on an uncomfortable topic for so many people. 
Right. You know, and she does it in such a way that hopefully you don't feel uncomfortable. You won't feel uncomfortable. You know, what I, I think mean? it was fun too. Yeah. I think listening back to this will be kind of funny like yeah. when we're doing our grocery list <laughs> exercise. Like sometimes I put my foot in my mouth. I'm a little too outspoken and I think I'm not going to get in trouble for this. There's a couple <laughs> parts that are a little, uh, but so I learned a ton. So it was awesome. So check it out. Follow her. She has some online courses that she's about to release that they might actually be live by the time this episode comes out because we're so prepared. We're more than like a day (laughs) in advance. (laughs) Yeah, we're a couple weeks out right now. By the time it lands, her course, her Instagram is her Instagram is amazing. She has actually written a book. Yeah, she has a clinic, like a full time clinic. So if you do listen and like her, like you can work with her. So, so much, so much good information. She's awesome. We got to get her back. I think it would be there. We should just make her like a ser- like a, an annual, like just check in once a year and let's talk about what's going on. Cause she's just, she's high energy, five was, foot two, five foot two, like ball of power, man. Like yeah. she's just, she was great. So, so anyway. ho- hopefully you like it. You listen and you'll like is, it. This is another one though that hopefully you share with people because I think it can help open a lot of doors of communication and I I actually think it's going to be like a really impactful episode for a lot of people. I think so too. Strangely enough. No. It it's one of those things that like you said people aren't comfortable talking about. Yeah. And this gives you a private safe place in your headphones. Yeah. To listen and talk about it. Anyways, enjoy it. She was amazing. Welcome to the nitty gritty. This is one. Are you like welcoming me or your? Well, you are. I am welcoming you. Yes, I'm welcoming the guests. (laughs) But I don't know if you've heard the last few episodes. Well, I guess not. A couple of them aren't even out yet. But at the end of just about the last what three or four. This is all I have talked about about. this episode. (laughs) Oh, really? I'm so excited for this episode. Good. So. The sex therapist. Is yeah. Here. Yes. <laughs> Finally. But now I'm nervous and I don't know what to ask. So anyway, if you've been listening, you know that One of I've my been pretty excited about this. is actually to make you feel super comfortable to talk about sex. Well, so, well Like that's my job, happening. right? Like to give you permission of we can go oh, there. It's man. all good. Kristen Hodson. I didn't say the name yet, but I already feel more comfortable. Good. You're awesome. Just. I'm excited for you guys to, to hear this one. I think it's going to be good. So welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So sex therapist in Utah. Yeah. Sex therapist in Utah. I, I imagine you have a lot of work to do. Endless. <laughs> like I, I actually didn't go into it thinking this is job security. Right. But it, it sadly and fortunately like is and I love what I do and I love how quickly when you can empower people and give them information and knowledge they're just on their path oh man it's got to be such a rewarding job so where where did you grow up where are you from so I grew up in Sandy Utah okay and then I made my way to Florida for a little bit and I played college soccer Oh, wow. um, so that was part of my background. Okay. Um, Is that in, what took you to Florida? No, I actually coached wakeboarding out there. I was a competitive wakeboarder. You coached wakeboarding? What? It was, it was actually, um, I love to wakeboard and I was like, how can I get on a boat every single day? My parents can't afford it. I, I mean, and so I was like, I was working at Snowbird at the time. A guy came in and I somehow talked myself into a job out in Florida. I was 19 and I became the coach of wakeboarding out there. So I was on the water 
three Holy times a day. God. It was amazing. For, like wakeboarding in Florida is like golf in Florida. It's like where all the pros live. It is. Yeah. I, I, Darren Shapiro and his wife, if you know Darren, he was like the world person back okay. then. Um, but everyone's there. It's wild. So then I went to Hawaii and I got to live there for a couple of years, BYU, Hawaii. Okay. Um, so I feel like I'm Utah, but then once I was able to be free at 18, I went and saw the world a little bit. Ventured out a bit. Yeah. But, and that just means we don't take it for granted when you choose to come back, especially when you live in like, paradise places. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, lo- I love Utah for all its quirks and oddities. I love it. Well, I think Utah needs you. So we're glad that you're back. <laughs> Thank you. So, so, I mean, wakeboarding, you were working at a ski resort. Yep. Hawaii. What took you to Hawaii? Same thing, wakeboarding? No, my, so I had actually decided early on that I was going to live in Hawaii and go to school. And so um, I did a fundraiser for my own self to get <laughs> over there. Cause again, it so was what? like, my parents were like, yeah, you can go there if you figure out your plane ticket. So and a fundraiser for yourself. Yeah. Is that a, go fund me. I think probably. I know, Is that a nice way of just saying begged for money? It, like now you have, go- it was honestly, I did. Do you remember? And this was, this is not great, but it, I think it was a reflection of being in Utah and being white, but I did, uh, um, sponsor a child for myself <laughs> and I did all of these things and I think it's like Patreon and now you have GoFundMe like you have right. better ways but I just right. made flyers and people I got a plane ticket um that's amazing so and then I just I got my social work degree over there and took okay. a couple work uh, took a couple of years and then went to the U okay so Ooh. when when did you know that was what you want to do like the social work early really? early early um how come so when I was eight, the way that I played, I didn't play Barbies. I had a lot of Cabbage Patch dolls and I created an adoption agency and I would adopt when dolls. When you were eight? Yes. Um, and my friends, I had profiles of my babies and we would do that. Um, my other career choice was actually to be Ron Popeil's marketing assistant. If you know Ron Popeil, he was like infomercial man and i saved money to buy the pasta maker and Uh like i bought a few of his things but um i knew early on i was doing social work from before i even know knew what that was really and i didn't necessarily sex therapy wasn't even a on the menu of choices that kind of unfolded organically but i didn't realize how comfortable i was talking about sex um and that i could actually have a career out of it did you learn that at all growing up sex yeah like no talking about it, not <laughs> like, sex. Uh, no, like, but like, like right. did your family no. was it openly talked about? Like, did you have really good examples from parents on how to have those conversations? No, that's remember she grew the, up in Sandy, Utah. Andrew. Yeah, like from the typical from the typical parents. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think that's one thing that makes me relatable. Is a lot of people on my Instagram will say you must have grown up in a home that really fostered that in you, and I was like everybody else. I had the awkward maturation. I wasn't. I was kind of given a talk, but not really. I stumbled through my own sexual journey um, and figured a lot of things out on my own. So I didn't grow up in any unique circumstances that would have shaped that. Interesting. So when did you recognize that as a gift? And like, how do you recognize that as a gift? I think informally, I recognized it as a gift I don't know with my friend. Like, I think the social work in me. Like, you were the one that they would come to talk yeah, to about that kind yeah. of stuff. And then having to figure out my own life. I, yeah. I kind of went through the school of hard knocks yeah. regarding sexuality. 
Um, and then I was actually given the opportunity to write a book before my time of being a sex therapist. And that okay. kind of um, supported that. Like I went and met up with a friend named Matt Townsend and he said, I've been given this chance to write a book on sex and intimacy. I don't want it. Do you? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so my sister and I co-authored that. And then that is when I was like, oh, this feels like I'm just downloading information. Like this just feels like a forum and a platform to finally express and write down. And and that kind of kicked off everything. At that point, I had already founded my mental health clinic in um, Salt Lake and was okay. building that. But And we were a specializing clinic in maternal mental health and couples counseling. And then this just folded in really naturally. Interesting. Yeah. Was, is your sister in the same space? Does she do the She's same thing? She's a sex therapist and educator. And we have a stepsister who is also a sex therapist. Really? What? And we're all in Utah. <laughs> who was the first one? So, the, well, we all went through about the same time. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And my sister, Alicia, she was a sex educator because she had her bachelor's level in social work. Okay. Um, and then she has since then gotten her master's degree. She's a mom of seven. So as you can imagine... Getting that education is going to take some creativity on, oh, and timing. Sure. Um, so then, so Kristen, my stepsister is also named Kristen. Two Kristens. Oh, wow. okay. I know. So we both got it basically at the same time. Okay. And then Alicia um, has become a sex therapist once she got her master's degree. Interesting. Yeah. Do you guys work together now? My sister works with me at the Healing Group. Okay. And Kristen has her own uh, practice called Intimacy Connections, intimacy connections. Okay. Yeah, intimate solutions. So how, how do people initially find you? Is it through, I imagine there's got to be some sort of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like maybe they're the doing referral? couples. Yeah, like couples counseling and yeah. then that is recommended. See, I it's funny. I, I was telling my wife the other day, I'm like, I feel like we got to get rid of the taboo for the sex therapy thing because I think people in Utah, especially married couples, probably every married couple anywhere mm -hmm. could really benefit from coming to see a sex therapist. Yeah. But saying the word sex therapist or yeah. words, yeah. it's like, you want to what? Yeah. And they, you know, well, it's just like therapy, right? Like we talk a lot about therapy on here just because I really want to normalize it. Everyone, Dale Murphy said it great. He's like, let's just call it coaching. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. I really do think everyone should go, but at what point does someone decide to kind of get specific and come yeah. to see someone like you? So I've done a lot of media. My my clinic team, they're awesome and doing a lot of outreach. So we've, we've been able to reach people that way. Um, and Instagram. I yeah. find a ton of people from Instagram because really? it normalizes the conversation, right? Like right. I'm on there talking about it. I think I look like a pretty normal average person um, and I'm able to use language that makes it approachable. So what I have found is sex therapy is still kind of new. Like, what do you do in sex therapy? Right. Who needs to go to sex therapy? Are we that bad that we have to go to therapy? See, that's that's the kicker, right? Like, that's what's the kicker. Right? Well, it's just like, it's just like kind of marriage. Counseling. I mean, marriage counseling, it's like. I set us up an appointment. Wait, what's wrong? Totally. You know what I mean? And what people will often find is because we don't have access to sex education and resources for sex in general, they end up in a therapist's office. What happens when people come to sex therapy, there are times when they need 
a lot of times when people are trying to figure out a difference in desire, they're trying to figure out pornography, they're trying to figure out X, Y, or Z, but a big chunk of people are coming in and realizing we just need education. We just need a forum to be able to talk about this. We yeah. just need information. And so they land in a therapist's office when really they, they actually needed education. They needed permission. They just need suggestions. Um, I will have a lot of people that will ask me what toys to purchase because they don't want to Google it. And so they'll come oh, in for an hour or two because that can, I mean, Google can open up oh, so true. many doors when it's you're like doing Pandora's box in that area. It really is. And a lot of people rightfully so right. don't want to stumble into something that they don't want to see. Yeah. So um, I think there's also that factor of people reaching out just because they're like, we're trying to figure this out. Yeah. We don't want to Google it. We don't even know what to Google. So when you got started, was it scary or were you ever hesitant to be like, I'm all in on sex therapy. Like, were you like, uh, maybe I should like tiptoe into it? And no, just I was kinda, all in. You were all in. Totally in. It okay. resonated and it felt more like a calling, like, oh yeah, this is what I'm, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think what became actually scary was more of the media and public engagement in a culture that is pretty male patriarchal dominated. Like yeah. when I go to the Capitol to do legislative issues and I'm up against fight the new drug and I'm up against like traditional that that's more scary. And some of the Would emails you say up gotten. against, what do you mean by that? Um, you have a lot of people. So when it comes to sex issues in general, yeah. like there's a lot of players involved. Okay. A lot of people that are not for comp sex ed or are really looking for more conservative legislation around sexuality. So up against it's you have the people sponsoring the bill yeah. and you have the people that are trying to shut down the bill and um, and you can get a lot of emails. I've gotten some emails <laughs> that I'm like, huh. I'm surprised that like fight the new drug would be an opponent as opposed to an ally. Right. Wait, fight the new drug is an opponent? Well, okay. Well, that's what she, she just said she was up against him. Uh, he, okay, here. So Clay and I have been. I don't know if you know Clay. He's the he's the founder of it. He's a great guy. And what I see us is that we are both passionate about wanting to improve people's lives. Yeah, we have that in common. How we believe people's lives are and can be improved. That's where we Dip. differ. Okay. And so the direction they're trying to go legislatively is not at all how I agree with where things should go. And I, and when I say me, this isn't just me. I'm there. There are bigger people, organizations, advocates that have been doing this far longer. So what are we, when you say legislatively, what are we, what are we talking about? Are we so allowed to talk we about were the that? First, we were the first state to declare pornography a public health crisis. Okay. And then that legally sets a precedent for other states to declare that. Right. Mind you, this is at a time when our air is at like all time terrible levels, but porn kicks that off, which then introduced other legislation where um, if you're a provider or producer of pornography, you can now, if you as a Utah resident feel like you've been harmed by it, you can sue the makers of the pornography to say, right. you harmed me. Um, and Todd Weiler, if you look at the state, it's not, pornography has not been, it's very ambiguously defined. And if you look through interviews with Todd, he says, well, I know it when I see it. Like, that's just what porn is. Well, you, you, that, you can't legislate around that. No. Um, so then from there, other legislative things that made it through is 
since we are an abstinence only or abstinence plus state, uh, if there's going to be any kind of sexual health programs that get in, you look at it, there's all these factors. Um, fight the new drug is anti pornography. Great. Not uh, pornography is not good for youth. It's not a good source of sex, sex education. Um, but they made it so legislatively they can uh, be in schools without parental consent if the district approves it. And that's a problem for me because that is sex education. Todd Weiler does not believe pornography has anything to do with sex education. Um, but I, I would want to know if anybody's going to talk to my kids about sex. Yeah, that's crazy. With a value system. And so there, there's just these things that move the needle that uh, happen in Utah that are happening and setting a precedent and um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. See, and that stuff I think as parents, we just don't, there's always so much going on with school districts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot going and on. And you just like, Oh my gosh, my kid came home one day and said, Oh, this is what we learned in class. And I wasn't told about it. I'd be mm -hmm. pissed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I am a firm believer of informed consent. It's crazy that they even want that. That they want what? To be able to just do that without parental consent well, or without... I, th I think the reason why is because you have a lot of parents that are like, well, isn't that a good thing? Like, don't can't we all agree that having kids not having access to porn is a good thing? I think we all can as parents being like, yeah, right. I don't want my kids to learn about sex from pornography. We absolutely can. But introducing the idea of addiction and introducing a value system and not having other conversations around sexual health so it's prior. So just biology or physiology. They're, they're introducing yeah. a value system. And, and an idea of addiction when I think there's better ways to talk about pornography. I think there's more effective ways to educate our kids in a way that truly empowers and provides skills. Right. So for me, pornography is very much a part of the conversation, but not the conversation. And in Utah, pornography is often the conversation that dominates for sexual sure. health. And so it's constantly trying to say it needs to be discussed, but let's not scare our kids like driver's ed and tell them everything that possibly can go wrong in our goals to protect them when teaching them skills and giving them information. Actually, the research shows time and time again, that is what protects them. Absolutely right. It's like prohibition didn't work. Right, right. Like you just can't say you can't do that or it's illegal or whatever else. Yeah. So you just have to say, this is why you shouldn't. Right. right? And, and here's- That doesn't here's, happen very often with a lot of things though. Totally true. And especially with teenagers, like if you tell them you can't do something, they're going to flip you off and they're going to go do it. You know, it's like- that's why the education, I would imagine, is so much more important because, mm -hmm. you know, if I know the consequences and what it does to my brain and blah, 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 that's different than just saying, like, it's not allowed. Right. And so... Because what you're doing is you're introducing, like, labels and shame surrounding decisions and actions, which... And they already have plenty of that in Utah. Yeah. So. Well, everywhere. Every kid in the whole world yeah. has that. Yes. Right? Yes. But... No, they do. Oh, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you, but it's not on the level that we have here. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, will, maybe in Bible Belt states. I was going to say, you know, like I'm just saying, it's the the religious part of it is. Oh, it, and that was one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about today is the whole red light, green light. Like for 20, 20 30 years, you're told uh -huh. you have sex, you're going straight to hell, and then you get yeah. married. It's like go for it, have fun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Anyway, but yeah, that's so. that's exactly actually what I see a lot in my office is yeah. that is this idea that 
sexuality can just be shelved and then you can turn it on. When your sexuality and your ideas around sex, your beliefs around sex, your feelings, all of that is being developed from the moment you're born. And so to shut that down or to have this messaging um, of, nope, it's really bad and dirty and gross. Just save it for the one you love. Um, save the really bad, dirty, gross thing <laughs> right. for the one you love. Right, save that. <laughs> That's exactly. Um, there. There's a lot of people that feel a lot of shame. Um, shame is so detrimental to relationships and self-esteem and confidence, as well as feeling after the fact, if you've believed that your identity is wrapped around sexual purity, um, then when it is time to, and you have the opportunity to share that with somebody, you can feel immense amount of grief and because you're, you've lost that identity. Right. You can feel shame. You can feel bad, even though logically you're, you're like, no, we can, I'm allowed to do this. You've spent 20 to 25 years shutting that part down. That's a lot of development. There's a lot of rewiring that has yeah. to happen. Yeah, and a lot of adjusting beliefs. And that's hard and painful, very worthwhile. But that is something that I see time and time again. And I think there's this belief that if you talk proactively with children about sex, they're more likely to have sex, which is just not true, or that comprehensive sex ed isn't including abstinence. It very much, that's a big part of it. Abstinence is a choice and you can help kids honor their sexuality while supporting abstinence. It can be a both and instead of these big either or. Everything is an either or in today's society. And so it's like, we've had a lot of these discussions where we've had people come on as whether it was drugs or other stuff. And it's like, if you talk about it, you're going to increase the likelihood or the curiosity behind it yeah. that they're going to go looking for it, right? Which is very common. Well, curiosity, it's very common of course belief, they're you know? curious. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they're going to hear about it and talk about it. Yes, they and are. they're going to do it in a place that's not going to help them make a good decision. So let's, I mean, I guess, are most of your clients, the work that you're doing with the parents or ever with the child? So that's, that's an interesting thing because my clinical work is actually different than my public work. Okay. Publicly on the... What I started to see is I would get couples and individuals in my office and and I started to say to myself, there, there's got to be some more prevention happening. There needs to be education. And then it was like, um, how do we get to the parents who are raising these children? That's the most preventative work we could possibly do. a lot of parents not raising children right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Surviving. I know. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. So that's really. We just talked about this last night. Just about what? Every parent just wants to be their kid's friend. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, we just found out that one of our, we'll just say friends, gave their their oldest daughter had a phone in kindergarten. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. Like, anyway, but I just, it's, they don't want to rock the boat. You know, it's just. And that they, our kids need, like, we put babies in. Um, cribs and they've got guardrails, they've got boundaries, they've got an area in which they can explore. And naturally, as they grow, their space in which they can explore gets bigger, but they still need those guardrails totally hugely. Right. So, such a that's a great way to put it. Yeah, they need that. So, I think, like, what I do publicly is to really empower parents, especially being in a state and a country where sexual health education is not a part of. Yeah, a lot of people wait until eight somehow we've landed on this idea of when they're eight, we're going to take them. They'll take them to Bam Bams and sit them down and be like, <laughs> we're going to have the talk. Here's your brisket, son. Yep. Now, 
let's talk about sex. Okay. And I don't know if that's ever happened. I wonder. Maybe we were we if were. Anybody at, who's done that, please uh, post it on Instagram and let me know how it went. We were at a breakfast <laughs> place, and I like nudged my husband because there was a couple there, and they pulled out some books. They were flipped upside down, and I was like, "They're totally having a talk right now. Good for them." Wow. And the child was younger, but um, my goal is for parents to have these to rethink what sex is, and that they're talking to their kids from the moment they're. Absolutely. Born. And so then clinically, I work with an entirely different population. So I, I'm i doing my clinical, but my education public is that. So clinically, you're working more with kids then? Is that what I'm understanding? No, I'm working with adults, and I actually work with a lot of LGBT individuals okay. and couples. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's got to be interesting. Very like, fulfilling. Like, I mean, just as far as... Because there's a lot for you to learn in that space, too, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Right? Just yeah. Just you're married to a man. Mm-hmm. So how, how does that, I mean, how do you learn that? Cause that's such a new, I mean, obviously that is not a new world, right? right? Not a new but world. I think we're, it's a lot more on the surface now Yeah, because it's safer for them as it should be. Yep. Right. So how do you educate yourself as, you know, their yeah. therapist to talk to them about that stuff? Well, um, that's a great question. And I'm just trying to gather my thoughts for a minute, but it, it really boils down to a lot of clinicians specialize in areas. Like there are people that specialize in substance abuse and they don't have a history of substance for or sure. like things like, so clinicians can really connect differently with different populations. Um, I think what it boiled down to is one of my clinical gifts is to be really client centered and to support their agenda. And so, and what is best for them. The biggest thing that I help my clients, there's, there's a lot of shame. A lot of them are trying to figure out how their sexual orientation matches with their faith. And so not all the time, but there are clinicians that will um, just say, you know what? Orientation's a choice. You just need to really focus on your faith and other clinicians of you just need to really affirm your sexual identity. And both are great, but I I am specifically working with people that really both matter to them. And it feels like cutting off one to save another part. And so they're trying to navigate how do we make this work and integrate right. it. So I think I've learned on the on LGBT issues have always been interesting, but I try to put myself in ongoing education, supervision, and really listening to my clients. See, that's got to be a tough one. We had we had Charlie Bird. Do you, are you familiar with Charlie? I think so. He was the, the kind of the famous Cosmo uh, mascot for oh, BYU yeah. Oh, yeah, who came yeah, yeah. out. I totally know Cosmo. He just came out with a book. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so right when he graduated from college, he came out as gay, and that was kind of the whole you know, unmasking type of thing. Yeah. Cause it, you know, he was the most famous Cosmo we've ever had. He's the one that did all the viral dance videos, yeah. but he's also very, very still involved in the LDS church and, yep. and just kind of listening to his experience on, cause that's the other thing is the sex therapist. There's so much more to unpack before you can even get to that part. There's right? a lot to unpack. Um, it just depends. Every every client is so different, and right. and I still am seeing couples and individuals, um, but that is a, a niche population, right? That I do. Oh wow! So, what is the most common question you get? Am I normal? 
Am I normal? Yep. Am I normal? Is this normal? Um, I'm experiencing, well, I'll I'll give an example. I I seem to want to have sex three times a week. Am I normal? Men or women or Both. both? Because even even the research and my experiences, high desire, this belief that men are high desire and women are lower desire is absolutely absolutely false. You've I've met women with, that want to do it three times a week. Yeah, That's and I've real? worked with men that I'm have really low desire. <laughs> right, and there can be a lot of shame around low desire men because they're like, "What For is sure. what is wrong with me? Am I normal?" Huh. And so there's a lot of these messages of. Am I normal? I want to try this out. Am I normal? We like that is the number one question, hands down. Is it more men or women that reach out to you? Both. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that either. Um, I think men will reach out because they'll hear me in like I was on X ninety six for a long stint, or I was on okay. um, Radio West, and so they'll connect there. Their wives will introduce them on Instagram, and I think because I like to believe I'm approachable. They'll reach out. I work with a lot of men in my practice. Your Instagram's amazing, by the way. Thanks. I have a lot of fun doing two hours reading through that (laughs) last night. (laughs) Like so much information. The one that stood out I talked to with my wife was the sandwich. Oh, the sandwich that you can order your sandwich better than you can say what you want. Yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of talking about what you, you know, what you like sexually. You should be as comfortable with not, having the parts you don't like and having the parts you do like as you are with ordering a sandwich at Subway. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like no onions, no pickles, no tomatoes. Yeah. Extra turkey. Extra turkey. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yep. And so, and I, what a great analogy. Thanks. So yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff like that on there. Yeah. And that, that's my goal is just to make it relatable and approachable and not scary. I don't want it to be scary or so clinical that they're like, I don't even know what she's saying. That doesn't reach me. I don't. Right. So that's what's the most the common. What's the most common misconception about you or what you do that you uh, kind of have to fight? I think the misconception about sex therapy in general is that a we have sex with clients, or b that I'm asking <laughs> clients to masturbate in front of me. Like none of nothing of that people are happens. But that's the the idea. Like that's the most common misconception so do i need to bring clothes to my session or yeah that was a joke andrew why (laughs) (laughs) like for my first visit am i wearing clothes or yeah that's fully clothed yeah that's a common one so sex therapists in general will have to work with like turning down people that are like hey can you just watch me do this and tell me if i'm doing it right it's like we can't actually like we're regulated so this might not be interesting, uh, but it might. Um, you don't have to have title protection in majority of states to say you're a sex therapist. So you can just be a therapist and be like, and I'm a sex therapist because I'm comfortable talking about it. Okay. Um, there are now, I think, about 15 certified sex therapists. But you ha- to be a, a certified sex therapist. Certifications, you, you mean? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, which is the equivalent of like a second master's yeah. degree. Um, but you're under, you're a regulated profession because your first license is your state license to be a therapist. Okay. So like you can't, like I'm a doppel, I can't have, I don't know. You, you can't have sex with your clients. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's wild that that's where people go. Wild. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So trying to normalize it and trying to normalize, there's nothing real, like 
terribly wrong and it's perfectly okay to come in. And in fact, it's wonderful. And if you're getting married, come in, let's talk, let's figure this out together. Let's see. I think every, do you like, get a lot of like pre-married couples? We try. Come in? Yeah, what, we I try. Every My sister, should require it. Yeah. Yep. My right. sister does a lot of that. Okay. Trying to capture that another prevention, like, yeah. you know, you're, when I am doing people's histories, pain points are oftentimes their honeymoon and it's preventable, but you have two people that often don't know what they don't know. And they go in thinking like, this is how it should be. Yeah. And so, hmm. so how is the best way to start to introduce sex, talk about it with kids mm-hmm. at what age, you know, yeah. I know that's a huge question for oh, you. I, can, I love answering it though. <laughs> I love it. Um, my colleagues would say that I say, start talking to your kids in utero, like when they're in your belly. <laughs> Reason being is a lot of people grew up in homes where you couldn't even say anatomically correct terms. Yeah. So if you are talking to your babies, you're actually getting comfortable with saying the words and the language. So Please the first part is yourself. you're developing yourself <laughs> okay. and you have a captive audience. Cause if I'm saying it in my baby voice with the eyes, they are like giving you the best positive feedback. They're like, you're killing it, nailing it. And then <laughs> as they, as, and it's then breaking out and like deconstructing sex. We often think the first thing we're going to talk to our kids is about how babies are made. Well, there's a lot of conversations before that. They need to even know the body parts they have. They need to learn about body safety and they need to learn how to keep their body parts clean and they need to know their emotions. So I try to help parents say, you can totally talk about sexuality early, often because sex is just not a behavior. It's a series of conversations about a variety of things, healthy relationships, healthy friendships. Um, we're really talking about boundaries and consent when they're playing with blocks and toys and you can't just take someone's block. Well, I can introduce consent and boundaries right there. And the kids may not totally understand it, but you're, you're dripping it. And the way that I talk about this building concept is we think about like, I'll ask you guys, how many hours between kindergarten and 12th grade do you think your kids are spending learning math? How many hours? Way too many. Okay, like a lot of hours. Yeah. If I, Especially this common core bullcrap. It's so much. <laughs> Same with reading. Like generally speaking, they're going to spend 2,100 hours. What if you stalled teaching them anything about math until they were 13 and then you introduce algebra and your hope is that they're going to be competent in math? That just does not makes sense. Like when they're learning how to read or do math, they're starting a with good example. It makes what sense. is, what are like, you learn the numbers and then you learn how two numbers can go together and right. what that looks like. And same with letters, a singular letter. That's what I'm trying to help parents see is that you need to start with the basics and then it stacks and it builds and they develop this foundational concept. If we want them to be sexually healthy, sexually literate, we can't expect... Here's another question. How many hours do you think kids are getting on average of sexual health information between kindergarten and 12th grade? The one hour of sex ed that they're required to take. Okay. On average, they're getting 17.2, which is about one hour a year. And we expect them to make really informed choices and to be smart. And you should know better. It's like, why? They don't have any information that's been labeled or layered and that they can internalize and build on. So I want, I want parents to like knock that number out of the park. So what are some really easy tools Mm -hmm. 
or tips for a parent to how to get started. If it's uncomfortable, if they grew up in a house where it wasn't talked about, they're yeah. still uncomfortable with it, but they want to do better. Yeah. Like what are some first steps, like some actionable, something actionable they can do? parents to go to sex therapy? My, I mean, really? Well, I know. How but does that, like that? That's the other interesting point to me is there are so many people in our age group that are still uncomfortable talking about sex mm-hmm. with other adults. Like how are they supposed to teach their kids? Okay, so and you just nailed it. That's that's the actionable item, and I this doesn't cost any money, and it's everyday situation. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it with you guys. Okay. Okay. Do you have a pen and paper, both of you? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if you do. <laughs> I have electronic pen and paper. I want you to now. think. Yeah, that totally counts. I want you to write down um, ten common things that you would get at a grocery store, and there will be no judgments about your grocery store list. <laughs> Judgment-free zone. Oreos, soda. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't think we've ever been this quiet on air before. I know. I was wondering how this is going to be with your airtime. Sorry, guys. Brent. Brent Edit out. He can fast forward it. Stick with us. Okay. If you've got like seven things, it's perfect. I'm close. Okay. I want you to, I want both of you to read your list to me. Okay. I want you to read your list. I'll start. Okay. Milk, eggs, bread, Cereal, cheese, chips, oatmeal, peanut butter, bananas. Awesome. How uncomfortable was that for you? Not at all. Did you hesitate? Nope. You're like, oh, my mom's going to hear this. No. Okay. Let's hear yours. Condoms, lube. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's the next part of the exercise. I know what's coming next. Yeah. Soda, meat, veggies, water, cleaning supplies, butter, milk. Okay. Cool. Not uncomfortable. No. And you kind of looked at me like, seriously? Like, okay. Um, now I'm going to have you write down these words. And I'm hoping since it's a podcast, I can say them. You can say them. Great. I want you to write down penis, vulva, orgasm, ejaculation, nipple, vagina, scrotum. I don't write this fast. I do. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> And what I want you to do... I got do, penis, vulva, orgasm, nipple, vagina. What else did I forget? Clitoris. Oh, ejaculation. Wow. Yeah, clitoris. Oh, ejaculation. That's a weird word. Yeah. <laughs> did I miss them? I've missed them. Okay. Now, I want you to say that. Penis, vulva, orgasm, ejaculation. <laughs> I already said five this, of them. <laughs> this is the... But this is the response. I love this. See, I, I'll say this stuff proudly, but okay, go ahead. I was saying it just time. fine, and then no, you started no. giggling like it's a just, little kid. It's just funny. Anyways, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll finish. Ejaculation, nipple, scrotum, clitoris. Perfect. Nailed it. Got Are it. You, would you let your mom listen to this section of the podcast? Oh, yeah. She's listening. Hi, mom. Okay, cool. What about you? Can you say these? Penis, vulva, orgasm, nipple, vagina, ejaculation, clitoris. Yay. Okay. This is the exercise. I want people to take their grocery store receipt and they should be as comfortable with sexual health words as they are their grocery store list. See, and that's the, that is so not how it is, right? It's not. And I cannot tell you how many couples are like, we should absolutely not be teaching anatomically correct terms. Cause what if they say it on the playground? What if they teach other neighborhood kids? And I'm like, those are their, their names. Those are their body parts. And that right. actually protects them from sexual abuse. Um, and we can talk more about that, but that's the actionable item because if you're going and talking with a child and you're like, hey, I need to teach you how to clean down there. Message. 
Like the message sometimes intentionally. Yeah. It's not necessarily what we say. Sometimes it's what we don't say or yeah. how we say it. And so people will get this list and then I have That's them really be like, okay, what about slang words? Because your kids aren't going to come home with anatomically correct I was words. Say, these are better than the words they're going to be. They're going to like, my, I'll give <laughs> you a story. I don't even know the slang words. My sister, my sister's daughter had her first year at high school. Okay. Overheard in the hall, like a word and came home and is like, Hey, Alicia, she didn't call her Alicia. I'm thinking of my sister. She came home and she's like, Hey mom, what's a dildo? She thought it was, could have been the same as a barbecue sandwich. Yeah. And my sister, even being a sex age educator, still paused and is like, and she's like, no worries, I'll go Google it. And she's like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> and, um, but she, again, they're, they're exposed to so many words and language. And so we're going to have to be able to hang with that language. Yeah. We want to teach them the correct terms. And we also need to be able to hang when they're trying to sort it out from their language level. And if they are going to school, if they have friends, I had, my kids had friends that had full access to smartphones in third grade. That, I mean, so it's it's a thing. And so we want to be able to teach skills, to like refusal skills and exit strategies. And kids are faced with social pressure. We can really underestimate social pressure. But you remember what it was like to want to feel like you belong and that you're cool. And so if you're confronted with situations and your kids have not had a chance to practice, sometimes they'll just participate because they don't know what to do. They have no idea what to do. They've not been given the language. They don't know what to do. Well, I love this idea too. I've never thought about that. Like sex education is more than teaching about the act of having sex. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I mean, in my mind, that was always kind of, that's what sex education is, is teach them about the act. But like, there's so much more yep. that goes into it. And to your point, like for me, it, it was a great example of like the math question. Like you're not going to show up and say, here's algebra. Here you go. It's a bad example though, because algebra is not fun. <laughs> I don't know if my kids, I'm trying to think through. I don't know if my kids are going to think what I do is fun. Like when we talk about it, they're yeah. like, Ugh, okay, mom. Like they've gotten so like road tripping. Um, there's condoms in most of the bathrooms. And my right. oldest, he's 11 and a half. He knows what a condom is. Right. And, but he was like, why would they have flavored condoms, mom? Oh. New conversation. New, yep. New conversation. New con and how cool is it that he feels See, to me, Absolutely. that's key, right? That's always. Helping them feel safe. Like, I want you to be able to ask any And he truly has no questions. idea. He has no idea that that, for other people, that would be a really uncomfortable conversation. Like, right. that's as, like any other question in our home. He doesn't see that as a special question that he's like, awesome. mom said I could talk about anything. I guess I'll ask her this. It's everything. So something that comes to mind is a question that maybe I have or others might is, how often and like how often are you talking about sex with kids is it something it's like every single time you get in the car there's a discussion about it yeah like, is it like oh my gosh i'm i've had enough of this or yep. like what is is there a recommended balance on yeah how often to talk about it or bring it up um so i do this two ways you have responsive conversations and proactive conversations proactive is when we understand developmentally what kids are going through what they need to know and we're leading conversations from there responsive is responding to the everyday environment the questions they have the tv they're watching um all of that so okay. it in our home actually comes up quite regularly in my home are we have 
I always say have more books on sexual health than you do have cookbooks. But now there's like Pinterest where people are getting recipes. But our books on sexual health are woven in with all of our other books. So we might read who has what. Um, what are the top five books that every family needs to have? Um, I would say uh, who has what, which okay. is a total intro and a great way to channel when they're looking at differences. And like if we're looking at shape sorting, they're doing that with like my brother has different parts than I do. And like, what are the differences? Who has what? Great book to start with. Okay. I love Where Willie Went, one of all favorites. Um, and then you're going to have uh, It's Not the Stork. Um, and then I think every parent should read For Goodness Sex. And then you have some puberty books, Guy Stuff, and The Care and Keeping of You. Because I like parents to, most of us dreaded puberty or have terrible puberty stories to flip the narrative for our kids and make puberty be awesome and like their kids are getting their superpowers and you have to learn how to manage them. So those would kind of cover the spam. Okay. But as a caveat, I think parents can choose like some books are like, I don't like this page. I don't like this page. Great. Then just teach and use it as your tool. Yeah. Yeah. But integrate it. So (laughs) quantifying it, how, how much and how often it's often. It's yeah. as much as you're teaching all these other things in your home. Um, but doing something is better than nothing. Just yeah. having the books out sends a message of, we can talk about this in our home. Yeah. Well, we even talked, I'm just drawing parallels here out loud, when we had like Yehoshan and we were talking about racism. He was like, mm-hmm. when is the last time you bought a dark-skinned Barbie? Yes. You know what I mean? So just by that act, yep. you're introducing normalizing differences. Absolutely. Right? So it's the same idea. Yep. I was thinking about that with Barbies today. So there's a whole pile of Barbies that, you know, the girls were playing with. And I'm like, why aren't there different shapes of Barbies? Yeah. Like they're all like these, I mean, not real. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect body. You know what I mean? It's really weird. So since that, it's been fun. Since that episode, we've made an intentional decision. So we've bought every doll we've bought. since that episode has Uh been different shapes and different colors. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, you know, that's and it, very cool. And it's cool that our girls have not noticed any different. They're right. enjoying the exact same amount, but you're introducing this idea of celebrating differences. Um, so that's interesting. That's how you say it. Mm-hmm. I also noticed you actually have like a course to help parents yeah. like hit this and we're not going to time to go through it and I'm going int- to I'm, I'm buy it after. And I would assume after talking to you for the link we have, it's awesome. But it's like a step-by-step process on how to do it on all the different types of subjects. Mm -hmm. So talk about that just for a second. Yeah, briefly. So I have our foundations course um, and I truly guide people. They get an amazing workbook um, and it just guides them through like, here's what you need to know. Here are the topics. Here's the how. And then people are like, okay, how do I talk about pornography? Cool. I've got the exposed course that you, but you have to have the foundational skills. And then they're like, okay, what about masturbation? I'm like, awesome. You've got that course so that you can start really what I find about masturbation is it's reconciling internal moral conflict. Um, So foundations really does set parents up for success. And my goal is where it becomes so comfortable for parents that they're not relying on me. They're like, oh, yeah, I got this. I just had to get over that hump. I needed to know what to teach, when to teach it, how to teach it. Parents are worried they're going to introduce too much and like ruin their kids and all valid. So we go through all of that. So check it out. So wh- where can they find that? They so it's it's not available 
yet. We just okay. did it. I did it with office hours um, and we're rebundling it for kind of a back to school. Okay. So maybe by the time this airs, actually will be available at kristenbhodson.com. Okay. Very cool. So check it out. Um, so much helpful. I'm, I'm just kind of scrolling through some of the highlights and it's like, yeah, there's any question, any topic you're going to have, there's going to be instructions on how to do it. Yep. So where do you start with the parents? Like shifting to adults? Because yeah. I mean, teaching all this stuff, that's the thing. Like a lot of people that I know my age, it is still a very uncomfortable topic mm-hmm. and it just baffles my mind. Yeah. So, you know, how do adults, especially, you know, obviously a lot of them, there's a lot of people that grow up and don't have that talk. Like there are families yeah. that have horrible communication skills yeah, yeah, and it's still just, you can't rewire a brain, you know, that's thought a certain way for so long to make it okay. Like it's funny saying those words out loud. It mm-hmm. would just be like, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, but you can, you'd be amazed totally. at how you can start to flip that and be like, this used to be a huge pain point for me. And now it's my greatest strength. Um, and I see that. I think that's why I do what I do is I watch people make that transformation. Right. So are you saying how do couples talk about it? Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, how, or I would imagine it's like, it's hard to teach something. It'd be like me being. How does a parent a fitness, teach it if they're not comfortable yeah, with it themselves? I'm not going to, you don't call me to learn about a diet, right? <laughs> So it's like, it's that type of thing. Like if we're bad at communicating about it, how are we going to teach kids? So it is totally embracing. Like I help parents beg, it is perfectly okay to own that you feel awkward about it, that it's new, but then practice with people like start here, start. The reason why I like books is people aren't having to do a free form. They can read and they can start to get their feet wet. For most people, it's honestly just a consistent and persistent exposure to the material to be like, okay, I used to not be able to say these words. I can rattle them off now, no problem. But how do you get people to read some of that stuff? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be a deal too, right? And they've gotta choose that having their kids be educated matters more than like keeping themselves comfortable. Right. You have to really decide... I, I am going to choose my kids' safety and sexual health over my discomfort. Um, because or in, spouses. Or spouses, yep. And one of the things in my course too, and I have another course, is figuring out what your values are around sexual health. Because you will have one parent that will say, I am not teaching my kids that, and another parent that is like, yes, we are. And so they, that's usually rooted in value conflict. So how do you sort that out? Like, you know, I want to teach- I think teach- you just hit the nail on the head of what I was ultimately asking. Okay. Just because I think that's a really common thing. You know, it is. You come from very different backgrounds. It is. And you know, something for me may be way more easy to talk about than it is for my partner, right? Yep. So how do you reconcile that? That's, so you that's can a have a united part. front when you're, you know what I mean? That's exactly and not just it. And not just about the kids. I mean, about your own sexual relationship, yep. right? Yep. Because that's, we spent how many years just kind of skirting around these issues and- And that's- Like getting comfortable enough to talk about it, I would imagine is kind of the tallest hurdle. It is. It's getting comfortable and it's also figuring out the values around it because 
people will have their own sexual history. So one of the first things I do in my values course, I'm like, you need to get clear on your sexual history, your hangups. And then what is the legacy you want to pass on to your kids? Like, what is your vision for their sexual health? What do you want for them? And then you're often doing this with known or unknown values. So let's get what those are. But do you know how your your spouse or co-parent is answering that? They'll take that separate and be like, oh, I thought we were on the same page. We're not. Fantastic. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's figure that out. And then from there, then that's how they have the united front. Um, So they may say, we really want our kids to be abstinent, but we really want them to be safe. Well, that means that we're going to have to teach them about contraception and how to prevent STIs because while we're pushing abstinence, they may choose something different. So safety is going to really... They want them to have the info. Yeah. So I do that early on. because That's got to be a tough... It's tough. Pill to swallow for people, it's right? It's tough. Um, but at the end it's of like, the but day... But just in case you mess up, yeah, you know, even that... Or you make a different choice. That See, I was going to say, even that... Yeah. Like, that is wired in me to say. Totally. And that's totally wrong. Like, if you screw up... Right. You know what I mean? Yep. So, how, so I mean, how do you help parents teach that? Because in, in our area, being the dominant religion LDS, yes. you're taught that abstinence is what you have to do, right? Or you're going to hell. You know? And, and so I, h- how do you balance that? I encourage parents to, abstinence can be a great option, um, but it's not going to be the only option kids are exposed to. Yes. And they're often getting a lot more information and persuasive information about all the other choices outside of abstinence we do a really poor job of here's how you this is how you're going to choose abstinence when you are really in love with another person and you really want to be physical with them here are all the other ways that you can express your love your physical desires without having sex and i also want to teach you what you do if you're like i'm in a situation i don't want to have sex but like how do i get out of it like we do a poor job of teaching all these skills and and also flipping um, if we're going to go religious chastity to be an empowering choice instead of the that. one that prevents so yeah. that you're not doing shame. It's so, all shame. It's all fire and brimstone. It and does. I hate it. And when I was on, um, what's her name? Oh, shoot. Gail Rizika. She is the most powerful woman around sexuality in Utah. She's with the Eagle Forum. And she doesn't, she switched consent to be refusal skills that we don't need to learn how to negotiate a sexual experience because you're giving kids permission to do it. Um, They just need to know how to say no. And so if we want our kids to be abstinent, we can do that in a really empowering, positive way, but we have got to get way better at the conversations and give them skills to uphold that value. Just saying we value it is not enough. Well, you had said something I've never once heard, nor honestly, I've never thought about Here's how you express your exactly. Here is how you express your physical needs or your attraction without sex. Yep. No one is talking about here's what here's here are some ways you can do it, giving them tools and skills yeah. to manage those emotions and those feelings. And there's very few media examples. And kids are learning a lot about relationships through the media because it's what's available. Yeah. And so it looks like the outcome of love or yeah, watch all any of this TV emotion show. is it's sex. Like yeah. that's what you do. And so if we can give our kids all these other choices and options, then they can uphold that value of abstinence. How do you talk? Like, give me an example. Yeah. What, what is the, uh, 
proper term for dry humping. <laughs> dry humping. Yeah, and I would ask my kids, but it, but that's where parents are going to have to kind of put, this is, what is abstinence? Because now you're putting me into BYU territory. Totally right. <laughs> but you're in BYU territory. Well, but, but see, it's so funny how, I mean, maybe this is too much information, but I mean, when I'm in high school, it's not like you have to be taught to do no. those motions. Like no, they're, they're kind of in there already. It comes right? very natural. It comes very natural. So ta- why should talking about it be such a difficult thing? But right when you said that, like, here's the ways we can stay abstinent, but still be physically connected. I was just like, oh, I would love to be sitting in the car with the people listening to this and just be like, wait, what? I, I have to talk about that stuff? Like. Now I'm going to tell my kids how, like, here's some ways you can do it. And they may not. I have one parent that's like, absolutely not. I figured it out and they will too. I'm like, totally your choice. Everyone everyone has their way to do it. Everyone. I empower parents. You're the sex expert of your home. I'm just going to give you ideas. Take what's helpful. Discard the rest. But that's where people are going to have to really, I see sometimes when there's this idea of it's abstinence or everything, kids can make riskier choices around their sexuality. So go down to BYU. I always keep a pulse on what is the latest creative happening down there? I don't know if you, have you heard of bagpiping? Yes, I have. Okay. I have college kids that work for me. (laughs) That was a totally new thing for me. The thing that I come back to, I'm like, there's zero pleasure. Can we explain what that is? I didn't know if you guys wanted to. Do it. So bagpiping, bagpiping is where a guy will hold his arm to the side of his body and then make a like a tight spot with his armpit, or she will make a tight spot with her armpit, right. and then the boy penetrates the armpit. Yeah. And there's zero, like one of the principles to teach is mutual pleasure. There's no pleasure in that for the girl holding her arm. The loophole thing at BYU cracks me up. Like well, the amount of creativity, like, well, it can't be your hand, but it can be your armpit. <laughs> you know, or right. if I put it in and I don't move, then it's not because that's the other thing, docking or floating, yep. as they call yep. it. Like what? Well, and but you get to this point where I call it the the Mormon whoops. Um, where it's like we can't actually talk about what we're gonna do and then prevent it so that we don't get STIs or have an unplanned pregnancy, because then it's premeditated sin. So we're just gonna do it and then we'll be like, Oh, we shouldn't do that again. And then we're gonna do it. And then we should be like, we shouldn't do that again. And it's not right. developed or mature sexuality. And a lot of adults will continue to get into that if they... they a lot of adults get into yeah, that. Yeah, and they don't really take ownership of their sexuality and be a sexual authority. So to your point of here's all the other things you can do without having intercourse, um, that's, that's going to butt up against people's values because they're right. going to be like, you can do nothing but kiss. Okay. That, that can be a choice. And we still need to teach our kids. What happens is parents are really proactive in talking to their kids between birth and 11 years old. And then once they get into junior high and high school and they actually become sexual beings, right. they end up just dealing with the incidences as they arise, but they don't become a source of education for their kids. I kind of talk about how parents go dark. They're absent from being involved with their kids because they don't they're more comfortable teaching their kids about the facts of babies and life. But when it comes to helping them navigate their sexual life, they're like, I don't know how to do that. It makes me super uncomfortable and I'm out. And then these kids are left to navigate and their kids or their peers become their sex educators, TV, YouTube, music, music has more sexual messages than any media. And 
you you don't watch the same show over and over and over, but you will listen to the same song over and right. over and over again. So that's the point where parents have to really get clear around their values and their value conflict because they will teach their kids nothing because they don't want to give them permission. And then their kids land in situations like chlamydia was the highest, highest in Utah County last year, like in the country. <laughs> oh my God. We were in the country. Yes. Our chlamydia was That's off the charts. Wow. And but I remember part of reading that, about that actually. I didn't read chlamydia specifically, but I remember saying STDs are just they're rampant, rampant because here. of that conflict again of like preventing is admitting or it's just really complex. And right. I, I'm not on here to have parents feel bad or tell them what they should do, but to, to think about it. How do you For balance sure. it when someone's thinking they're like, okay, if you talk about this openly, that means like, how do I ask the question? You're validating it or something? Not or? validating it, but it's like everyone I know who talks about is open with it is okay if their kids do it. Yeah. Right. Right. But that there, that's a, that's a myth and a belief. Again, yeah, it's that sure. idea that if I talk about it, I'm going to give them ideas and they're going to become curious. My experience and my sisters and as I've helped other parents, the more information, like my son, for example, super, super set on playing for the MLS. He is super set on, I'm not going to make any choices that are going to mess with that. So we, somehow my kids like to talk about drugs a lot, <laughs> a lot. And vaping has made them be really curious, like, cause it's such a dramatic, yeah. you see all the smoke and sex. And we'll talk about here are the things that could get in your way. And, um, it really can be done. It just takes practice. It truly is learning a skill. I've seen people that didn't have an ounce of athletic background and then they're running. Uh, my cousin was one of them. She ran an Ironman, a half Ironman for her very first race ever. Wow. So if you're like, this wasn't a part of my life, it's a skill. You can learn it like right. anything else. It's never too late to start ever. to develop it. No. And I have parents where they're like, oh, shoot, I wish I would have known this when my kids were two. Well, I work with a ton of parents where their kids are teenagers and they're, I'm like, you just got to, like, I help them push through right. the awkwardness and not having their kids be the ones, like, you can't look to your kids to give you enthusiastic response to know if you should talk to them. You can't be like, I'm going to talk to you about condoms. They're like, yes, I have just been hoping. And <laughs> right. mostly going to be like, seriously, I know. That's, even my son, I'll be like, buddy, we got to talk about this. And he's like, I know everything. I'm like, awesome. Tell me what you know. Yeah. And then like you, there's so many ways you can just work with where your kids are. Right. So Tim Ferriss question, if you had a billboard smack dab in Provo, Utah, Utah County, yeah. what would be on your billboard? I already know it, that um, your child's sexual health does not begin at marriage. That's excellent. That's what the billboard would be. Have you had people come in, wanting to learn what we're talking about now, like helping their kids. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, they help themselves as a couple. Totally. They, I mean, even just doing this grocery store list, right? I have people that will vulnerably admit they're like, I see these names, but I don't know what some of these are. So by teaching their kids, they get to give themselves an education that they never got either. And I love that because then you are everybody's getting knowledge and then you're changing you're making generational change 
where is a quote unquote safe place to go for that knowledge? Because if you just Google some of those terms, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to find <laughs> some of the best things that pop up. Um, libraries, when people and libraries are difficult right now in the pandemic. Um, there are really great books. A lot of the books I'm listing have all of that. Okay. So you can get books geared towards younger kids and get the information yourself. Yeah. Medical textbooks, great places, but there are a lot of great books on sexual health. I think that that can be, if people are worried, you have a lot more control over that media format than maybe Googling and just having an onslaught of images. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So what, so what are you seeing with, we'll just say straight LDS couples, right? Desire, discrepancy, and shame. Like what? Yeah. What are what are we working with here? Differences in desire. Um, one wanting to have sex more than the other. So the guy. And no desire. Like I don't actually want to have it. Feeling that, really yeah, bad yeah. about it. And right. then um, we wanted uh, one person wants to do more or different. Um, but honestly, the the big big thing is porn. So expound on that. Like what what is what are the effects of. It, it's more the um, the discovery of pornography and the the dominant narrative in Utah is addict and then I've never betrayal trauma um, right. and we're like we have the we have so many sex addiction treatment centers here in Utah um, and it's a, a unique issue because your neighbor can diagnose you your wife can diagnose <laughs> yeah, you your bishop yeah. can diagnose you all of these people can diagnose you. Um, and there's fantastic research out of BYU actually that dispels that you can believe you have a sexual problem or, and it doesn't correlate, but fast, it was Bowlby, I believe. And he talked about the higher someone's religiosity, the more likely they are to identify as a sex addict because that internal conflict. So it's more, um, this has been discovered and it puts people right into the path of sex addiction um, sex addiction treatment centers oftentimes aren't screening for non-consensual, non-consensual sexual behavior or the severity. So you have this pot of people that have all either been self-diagnosed or diagnosed as sex addicts. Some are like engaging in illegal sex to, I am looking at porn once a month, but I feel out of control because I can't stop. And they're all just in this pot together. Wow. Um, so I, I, that's a lot of what I see. I've always thought that was a really unhealthy thing because it's always really bothered me. You know, there's divorced women that I know mm-hmm. and they just, they just come right out with like, my husband was a porn addict yep. and I'm just like, Whoa. Yeah. That well, I think the thing that it makes sounds me more like most... a justification than a, yeah. Like I'm sure there was more to it than just the porn, but just like telling everyone in the world that the whole porn addict thing, like that, those two words, obviously porn is more, yeah. Use the ramp rampant again than ever, but yep. it's hard because I I do hate seeing. I mean, I'll just speak from experience with men, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling, I always joke like I think that it's easy to say addict because men just want it all the time. Like I think a lot of times when we say you're addicted to sex, it's like well, or you're you have testosterone in your body. We have we have a we use addiction for everything. everything. Yeah. Huh. So that, that, that comes up, that's where a lot of my work is around um, pornography as well in Utah, because that's oftentimes, pornography is usually where people give themselves permission to start talking about sex, 
that well, in the a, wake of being harmed, we now can talk about it. So it's almost like you have to be harmed to now talk about your sexual relationship instead of proactively talking about it well, before that. I think you could say the same thing about a marriage, right? Like mm-hmm. We have to be fighting and hate each other before or we go therapy. to marriage counseling. Totally. Huh. So, yeah. so what's that? I mean, this is probably too broad of a question to just answer simply, but what is the path for that? I mean, a couple comes into you where I've, you know, he looked at porn or mm-hmm. he told me he looked at porn. Yeah. Trust is gone. Yep. He's addicted. What, what does that look like from your perspective to the wife yeah. and to the husband? Is it, is it compassion? I want you to feel better about yourself. It's mm-hmm. okay. We can get over this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean he does, you know, to the wife, yeah. like it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Yeah. Or like, what is that? It, it's empathy and compassion and recognizing that initial is usually a crisis phase. And so you're trying to bring some stability and then you can move into, okay, this has happened. Do you want to have a second marriage? Like, do you want to move forward with this person? Right. Um, to Because sometimes they're like, no, I'm out. This is just another element that's not working. But a lot of people, they want to know, can we get over this? Can we work through this? Can we come together on this? And absolutely you can. For sure. Um, but now you can do it in a way where you're actually negotiating what fidelity looks like. A lot of people will come out and they've never discussed what fidelity means. Right. And so they discover like, hey, I noticed you were talking to your ex-boyfriend on, on Facebook and that's a breach of trust, but they never talk. There's a lot of assumed expectations. Right. So you can do a lot of wonderful things and it can be very productive and deeply intimate instead of just focusing on behavioral change, which is just stop looking at porn and stop masturbating. That solves the behavior. But what is oftentimes lacking is what people really want is they want to feel connected. They want to feel deep intimacy. They want to, they want to feel that. So that's the work I do versus um, sex addiction is often going to fix what's broken. And then they're like, and now what? What are we working toward? So what's the biggest difference between the misconception of what sex addiction is and real sex addiction? That's a big question. Well, and a very is, controversial question. I was going to yeah. say it's probably different for... It's just about well, every, everybody in your space. And I'm, I'm very mindful because this usually hits so close to home to so many people. And I don't want to delegitimize anybody's experience and what they've lived through and the strong emotions. Um, but in a nutshell, people that feel out of control with their sexuality, um, I always believe them. And I like to know what does that feel like to you? What does that mean? Or if a partner feels like they're out of control, what does that feel like? What does that mean? Um, and then to really start to figure out what they want their sexuality to look like. What do they want? People can tell me for days what they don't want. But it's what do you It's so hard to want. describe what you do want. Yeah. Look at how people don't even know what they want for dinner on Friday night. Uh-huh. Um, well, so if you can't say the word penis out loud, it's probably pretty hard to talk about yeah, what, what yeah. it is that you want. And, and if get someone, specific with that. Yeah. And with pornography, it... It really, and I just, the thought came into my brain and I lost it again. Oh, it usually is symptomatic of other underlying issues that have not been treated or dealt with. One of the challenges with exclusively diagnosing something as porn addiction and treating that is you really miss the opportunity to deeply explore what is going on. It's like the iceberg, right? That's like on the tip and there's all the stuff underneath the water you got to figure out. And now suddenly they're, they're not actually being, let's say someone is just 
actually an exploitative human being. They're not necessarily held accountable to that because they're an addict, therefore they can't help it. I would much rather have someone be held accountable as an exploitative, manipulative human being than as an addict that can continue to exploit and manipulate, but is never truly challenged because they're an addict. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's the work I like to do because I find it makes meaningful, progressive, longstanding change. Well, as hard as it is, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time on the podcast is some of the best things that happen to people happen after like their darkest Absolutely. trial, right? And yep. I would imagine that's no different. I mean, having that couple come in and finally start actually communicating, yes. I mean, that's something really great that comes from something bad, which I truly believe that something great can always come from something bad, no how, matter how bad or no matter how bad it is. They want trust, they want safety, they want security, and this can oftentimes give them, sometimes when people are just in an an addiction treatment loop, they they don't feel the security that they ultimately crave. And having to really talk about it and know your partner instead of know them as you want them to be to remain comfortable, that brings you the trust and safety and security that most people are looking for. And sexuality really is a balance of safety and pleasure. If we're just focusing on safety, we are really, we're in a really defensive fear place where if it's safety and pleasure, we're moving towards something. And if we're putting our energy towards something, by default, we're walking away from other things because our energy is towards something instead of just constant protection. Okay. Is there, I'm trying to get like another free tool for a couple. (laughs) Yeah, free tools. For a couple who's, Maybe they're maybe they aren't battling with something large, yep. right? But they yep. just want to start the conversation, whether it's yes, what it is like. How like how do you do that comfortably? Okay, I did just barely talk about this on my Instagram too. Five ways that you can start a conversation with your partner about sex. Okay, because maybe you're not in trouble. You're just like I, we've just never talked about it. Yeah, I, I would like to know more. Like, is it working for you? Do you like what we're doing? You know, because like we talked about, we don't have to be in crisis mode. Not at all. To have, and it can be, it can be a good conversation. You it know, it can be fun. It can yeah. be new. And sometimes it's just like we have never talked about it. Yeah. Do you want to take a, like a jump into the awkward with me? Let's just like talk about it. Yeah. You can, if you have a history of fighting, you can set a. T- timer and be like, this, we're not good at this yet, but we're going to have a growth mindset and believe that we can, and we're going to learn how to talk about it together. And we're going to figure it out. Um, you can, you can write a note. Who wouldn't want a little note to be like, okay, I love you so much. And I love our sex life. And I think it'd be super fun to start talking about it. That'd be a fun text to get. Yeah. Some people might dread that. They're like, I actually don't want to do that. I don't <laughs> I just, know. I just checked my phone. It's Did not you get there. <laughs> Dang so, it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. So it's, it's, there's a lot of ways to start it, but the best place to talk about it is before you're in crisis. And just to acknowledge, like, we've never done this. Why haven't we? Well, it's just like what we're doing with the kids, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's the same thing. Yep. Well, I think it's important, too, as you approach those conversations that there's not, like, a right or a wrong or a better or a worse. Just because one may have a larger desire to a smaller, that doesn't mean the person Mm. with the bigger desire means they're better... Here's they're, your free tool. They're, for they're your more people. educated, right? Just because Absolutely. you don't have a desire, as nothing that does not mean. Oh, I need to educate myself. Well, I think it goes both ways, right? Because a lot of times, I, I bet there's a lot of couples everywhere where it's just like, grow up. All you ever want to do is have sex. You know what I mean? Like, 
And I'll bet that happened. What did you call it? You had a great term for it. Disparity. Desire. Oh, desire discrepancy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's my wife and I had, we, I asked her yesterday, I'm like, any questions? Like, do you like any thoughts yeah. or whatever? And yeah. she kind of made this funny comment where it's like, well, women, at least from her perspective, right? It's like, I've got to have all these things before uh-huh. sex happens yeah. where, but men are more like, I need that to make me feel safe to do all those other things. Totally. It, it's totally yep. opposite. And you can leverage it to your advantage. That's where couples can make the switch from being competitive or each other's enemies. Like my way of, of sex is more right than yours. I have the right amount of desire than you. See, I think that's a probably a really common thing. You can become collaborative. Um, right. Of like, hey, we're on the same team here. If our goal is to have a better sex life, that can be, what do we want for that? Like we've never more named yeah. it. See, I think that's perfect. Well, that's- Because that, I think that's what a lot of, like a lot of men was just like, well, I feel like it's once or twice a month, but it's like, you're right. You know, Colin Coward was on when when the, the sports radio guy, he's just yeah. like, I'd rather go to two basketball games in the front row than 10 basketball games in the upper deck. You're basically speaking a, a good analogy for sex, right? A non-professional way to say this is like, is the sign, uh, if you're having crappy sex, you can't expect your partner to really be craving it and want it. You right. can't. Yeah. And so like, like pizza, sometimes it's, yeah. It, <laughs> if you're just focused on frequency instead of quality, then you can't be like, why don't you want it? It's like the sex we're having isn't worth wanting. So maybe we should change the quality. Ooh. So that's burn. <laughs> don't say it in that way. <laughs> don't say it in that way. But well, maybe if you did it, have better, them, I'd want it more honey. Here's your here's your free um, tool. Like, but it's not free, but it's free. The advice would be to get Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are. It teaches about pleasure, but it there most people don't understand the difference between responsive and spontaneous desire. That is what you have both talked to about like is the difference in desire um, that a lot of, and I'm just going to go generally speaking. Yeah. Women don't want it in the same way men want it. Like men might be walking down the street and they're like, mm, I could have some sex right now. They're in the shower and they're like, oh yeah, sex sounds great right now. <laughs> and it just kind of like, car. they're like, yeah, sex. Yeah. It just can right. like spontaneously Sleeping. fall out of the sky where a lot of women, um, their the context needs to be right. Um, they also need to start to get aroused. And as they're starting to get aroused, they're like, I actually want to be having sex right now. And so you, they're responding and they can respond to your desire. And so that can be really validating and normalizing for women because they're oftentimes they're compared to men's sexuality and they're like, they're shamed both ways, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're not experiencing it that way, but it's, it can bridge the gap between couples and is like, they also, Emily did something really smart for the non-reader she has summarized each chapter in the too long didn't read. And so the person can read a paragraph and the one who wants to get in depth can read the whole chapter oh, wow. and they can have a conversation. Smart. And there's so questionnaire smart. like questionnaires and tools of like, what desire style am I? And she talks about the brake and the accelerators. Like here's a car analogy for you that if you have a lot of things that turn you off, think of that as like your emergency brake or your brake. Um, and if you're just, if you have the emergency brake and you're like, you need more lingerie and you need candles and you, you're not going to go anywhere if you're pushing on the gas and you have all these other brakes, you have to figure out what your brakes are or your turnoffs so that you can get your foot off the brakes so that the gas can start to like move you forward. And her book does a really good job with that. So it's a great book. 
Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's a lot of pressure too, because it's maybe this is. Sometimes I'm a little too open book and I get in trouble. But sometimes it's like, you know, when you're married. I I love the line from Fun with Dick and Jane. Do you remember that movie? Uh-huh. It's like let's have sex on Saturday. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. So when you're married, like some like you have to do that, right? Sometimes. Oh, I loved help. I love having people plan sex dates. One hundred percent. But here's the problem with sex dates, right? I like, and I love to hear the problems, right? right? I love to hear it. <laughs> well, it's it's pressure because of the breaks, right? Okay. Like sometimes I like this is personal experience. This is probably where I'm gonna get in trouble, but it's like. If I don't do everything perfect until the time of the date, the date's off. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself like stressed out for a day or two. Like if something bothers you, don't say anything about it. Mm. If like put, do the dishes, like it, it's almost like it creates more stress. It can. You know and what I mean? people like I'll often say when they're like, no, spontaneous sex is where it's at. That's the most romantic. Anything planned is canned and it's pressure. One, we've been taught that again right. on Hollywood that like that's where it's at. Two, we plan everything in our life. We plan the carpool, totally. like everything that matters. Three, spontaneous sex. It's like if people aren't having sex, I'm like, so, and they shoot me down on having sex dates. I'm like, well, how how is that spontaneous sex working for you? And they're like, I was say, it's can't, not. Do you have kids so in the let's, house? Let's try something different. And you can have spontaneous sex, but let's also have some planned sex. Right. And if if you to your thing of there's so much pressure if I'm not perfect, like there's this correlation, and I'm actually hearing it be more weaponized. And I would be like, totally let's right. talk about that because right. if you're going to call it off, then you're going to use your sex date time to be like, what's up? What happened here? And instead of avoiding it you still have to meet at eight o'clock on Saturday night. And, <laughs> right. and that sometimes leads people to be like, okay, I feel better. Let's have sex, like makeup sex or whatever. But there's a lot of great ways where was real. the, you what? I think that's Hollywood. <laughs> makeup sex. Yeah. For some it is, for others it really works. <sighs> but it, um, when I have people get into a container, I can actually help couples start to figure out what are the blocks, what are the problems, because there's something consistent that we right. can look at. Well, it's, it's really totally hard like, to see what's going on with spontaneous sex. Totally right. Well, what you're talking about is exactly like marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is a neutral, safe place yeah. to speak freely and get those things out there and just have somebody say like, okay, like you say in the weaponized thing, mm-hmm. like the whole victim mentality. I think that that's a, well, I we can like withhold sex as a way to be like, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. And that's, and I mean, we all do it, but we can't really learn that stuff unless yeah, we go to therapy and yeah. and make that a normal part. It's kind of like what you just said, Andrew. I really liked it. Like, what if there isn't a crisis, yeah. right? Just getting ahead of it. That's why I always tell, like, whenever I talk to somebody who's getting married, like any advice, I'm like, go to therapy, go to marriage counseling three yeah. times a year, starting right now, totally. go before you even get married, yep. even if there's not a problem, yep. like, why do we change the oil in our cars? That's right. Because we don't want there to be a problem. Yep. And so it 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 it's totally the same, but it, it is its own niche, like you said. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I love our marriage counselor, but I think it would be so good for us to also come to see somebody like you because mm-hmm. it's man, it's only it, it can only help, right? Yeah. Ideally. And so, yeah. Ideally, ideally. <laughs> we hope. Well, I mean, once you get, I would imagine, I mean, the rewards are awesome, right? 
if if you can get on that same page and communicate and i think you said something earlier that was great just oh what did you say about finding that really happy middle ground how you can kind of use that Oh, collaborative collaborative. instead of competitive. Right. Yep. You can become each other's allies instead of each other's enemies. Right. And not see the other one as doing the wrong thing, right? Right. Like, you want it too much, grow up, or you never want it, you must hate me. Yep. Because, I mean, that is really what it boils down to is we attach some sort of negative emotion to why Mm -hmm. it's not matching up. Yep. It's typically we're reflecting our own crap onto them. Totally right. We all come to marriage with our own baggage. (laughs) Yep. All of us. Yeah. Yep. And everyone's got their own pre- conceived notions or expectations right. of what it's yeah. supposed to look like and how yep. it's supposed to go. Yeah, but so if we just watch Hallmark movie, we'll know. We'll know what they want. <laughs> it's got to be so. You have to get not in fight. one of my therapeutic interventions. <laughs> <laughs> I started wearing Christmas sweaters. It's not working. <laughs> I even wore a turtleneck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, very interesting, Kristen. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. That Thank was you so fun. much. Openings, so uh, any openings in the next few weeks? For I'm just kidding. <laughs> Call my office. No, this is like, so. It's yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, like how how can people if they do want to reach out and they do want to work with you? You know, we found out about you know the online stuff you're doing, but how can they get in touch with you directly? Um, they can go to my kristenbhodson.com website. Okay. They can go to Instagram. Um, my mental health clinic is the healing group and we have a location in Utah County, Park City and Salt Lake. We're all online right now because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but we're a specialty clinic. So you're not going to get generalists who can do X, Y, we're like so specialized. Yeah. Um, so those would be the best places to find me. Okay. You yeah. love what you do, huh? I love what I do. It's totally, can you tell? it's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I love it, it. Really. I mean, that cabbage patch kid story was like, that's crazy. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It, I I had no idea at that time what it meant. It just was like, yep, this I is mean, what I do. What, what a cool, like you are a gift to us for sure. So Thank you. Very, Thank you so very much. cool what you Thanks do. Thanks for having me.